Hello and welcome to another edition of Roman Records. I'm your host, Craig Smith, and I'm joined as always this week by my co-host, Craig Templeton. Coming up on this week's show, we celebrate some of our favourite solo artists, and we also enjoy a nice Nicaraguan rum. All this and more coming up on Roman Records. Hello, Craig. Here we are again, recording episode eight of Roman Records. I cannot believe we've got to eight, eight full-length episodes and a whole host of all these lovely extras as well. Lovely little kind of amuse bushes, as I like yeah, to call little them. Little tasters. Little tasters, and we've got a few that actually we've not we've not um, released. Um, last time, it was all about. Your selections. So normal kind of service resumes. Yeah, I've handed time. the reins back. You're allowed to. You're allowed to pick things. <laughs> Thank you. As long as I, I trust you to count to three. <laughs> Seven was a bit much. Seven is a bit much for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I start to run out of fingers. You know, from Hamilton. You know. <laughs> uh, so we're we're kind of back. Normal services resumed, as I say. And as if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know that each week we choose a different theme. Uh, and this theme, we're focusing on focusing on some solo artists, but specifically solo artists that uh, record under a different name. Yeah, this was this was your idea. You came up with this topic months ago. Aye, um, and it's an interesting one. I really like it, and I really appreciate the fact that you went to the trouble to make it um, alliterative. 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 Yeah. Well, you're definitely rubbing off on me, and <laughs> you were joking. <laughs> for, uh, for you, I know it's, it's an audio podcast. I am not literally rubbing off on him. No, metaphorically speaking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, 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 did, I didn't realise that I'd actually... I kind of forgot about me making up the name for this, so I'm, I'm quite proud of myself, actually. We've obviously had seven inches of summer. We've had fair sixes. We've had... Uh, <laughs> what was the first one called? Seven sevens. Seven sevens. Uh, but what, I mean, okay, I picked it. I think for the thing for me was, I, I'd, I looked at my collection. I've got quite a lot of these artists in the collection and a lot of these type of artists I actually like to listen to. Uh, and I think of them as, they're kind of like, they're all usually quite maverick. Usually quite sort of interesting characters. I think it takes a certain type of personality to want to record music on your own. Yes. And then put it out there with a you know, a different moniker, a, an alias. Yeah, and I think the the interesting thing is there are a lot of bands out there that started as fully fledged bands and then became well really it's just their band. Yeah. If you think about people like the Red House Painters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were a band, but then really it just... It was just that person. Yeah, uh, it just all boiled down to him. Um, same with Lemonheads. It really is just Evan Dando, it's isn't Evan it? Dando, um, whereas, that's why I kind of wanted to put a rule in with this one, that they really had to start off as just that person. individuals. Maybe they bring in help from their friends, but they still are just individuals. Totally. And, you know, some of these artists, and we're going to talk about it, when they play live, they will certainly bring in... A band yeah, yeah, to play yeah. with them, After. session musicians, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, there is other artists that I was flirt- flirting with including, but you might have disqualified them. 
So, for example, uh, the first Foo Fighters album was recorded completely by Dave Grohl. I totally get that, but then they did become a band. They did become a full-fledged band. And this is why I held off on like Amusement Parks on Fire. Yep. Completely um, recorded by one 16-year-old and then Made became into. a band. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's quite interesting how, how many times that has happened. Um, but the, the artists will be chosen, and again, back to the sort of usual format, we'll have chosen three each. So three, three completely solo artists each. But as Craig uh, alluded to, they certainly do collaborate and bring in other musicians and singers and, and artists uh, to collaborate on their albums. I don't think we said the name of the, the episode. No, we didn't. We've been, we've been pitter-patting around this. Essentially, it's solo artists that go under a different name. Maybe they sound like a band. However, it is just one person. And because you came up with it, Craig... What is the title? The title is Solo Pseudonym. <laughs> Can you fucking say it? <laughs> say it slowly. Say it slowly. So, yeah. Solo Pseudonyms. Solo Pseudonyms. Solo Pseudonyms. Um, yeah, and I think it's really easy to just pick nothing but electronic artists, DJ such and such, DJ this, yeah. MC this, um, or again like... Even like hip-hop like, artists. Hip-hop artists, yeah. yeah. They go under a different guise. But what I really found interesting about this is you listen to a record, you may not know who the band is, mm. and then you find out it's just one guy that made all that music. Yeah. You're like, fuck. Yep. Talent. Definitely. Talent overload. Um, so there definitely will be electronic elements in a lot of these artists. Oh, for sure. And that makes sense because one man's computer can make a ton of noise. Yeah. Um, but can- there will also be ones where it's... Maybe somebody got a little help with their friends, but totally. it's their project. We kind of talked about this in episode six, like talking about how the lines have become blurred between what would have been called kind of bedroom pop or yes. whatever, and what's what is recorded in the studio with the technology getting better and cheaper, and you know people can produce some fucking pretty good stuff with. Absolutely, with I I have the walls. archetypal kind of modern bedroom pop. Um, one of those artists tonight. Yeah. So yeah, as Craig said, we're going to go through three different artists each, um, mm-hmm. all performing under a solo pseudonym. A really interesting thing is, I think a couple of the artists that we're going to talk about actually performed other other pseudonyms as well. Yes. So this is if like, okay, I'm done with this band, I'm done with this moniker, mm-hmm. but I still don't want to go under my own and name. And actually, I quite like that as well. It's almost like, right, I've shedded the skin of said yeah. project. And I can go and do something completely different. It's I a love bit that. like how Madonna can reinvent herself, but mm. she carries on the name Madonna. These bands just reinvent themselves, but and and the way I do it, well, these bands, these people reinvent themselves, mm. and along with that is another name. Yeah, I, 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 I like, really that. like that. I yeah. do really like that. I really respect that. I like the fact it draws that kind of virtual line in the sand to say this was this and this is now something different. Yeah, it's interesting to see why they did that as well. As always, this is Rum and Records. We have brought another rum to the table. We have indeed. Um, this one this one, I've had before. I've had its um, older counterpart as well. Yeah, is that the, the, the bottle's shape's different? It's a little kind of dumpier It's more bottle. stubbier. So this is um, Flor de Cana. Flor de Cana? I was wanting to say Flor de Cana, but it's actually Spanish, so yeah. it looks like Flor. And they are one of the oldest rums in the world. And one of the most celebrated rums in the world as well. Do you know what? It's weird. Like, I am familiar with this brand specifically being abroad, actually. Yep. 
Uh, I've had it. I used to go to my sister's. She's got a place in southern Spain. Anyway, I used to always get this at the, at the, at the local Mercadona because it was, it was like fucking so cheap. The Mercadona? The Mercadona. Oh, nice. It was like, I think it was like seven euros or something ridiculous. Well, I got this, I think it, it was... It might not have been the five, it might have been a, a younger, a three or something, but... Well, I got this, uh, I think it was only, again, this was in like one big shop. I got like Appleton's this. I think I got four different rums. But this, I'm sure, was only about 15, 16 pounds on I offer. I can believe it. I can believe it. Um... And I will talk about it when I talk about a later artist because it, it kind of relates to that as well. That was a nice little coincidence. Well, I've I've got some um, some notes on the history of this rum. Um, <laughs> so I Your thought copious I, notes. I think I, I'm going to go through this. I do it. Um, so as I said, it's one of the most um, celebrated rums around, especially in kind of Latin America, mm-hmm. the home of rums. Yes, it's actually distilled five times during its its production. Which is incredible. You think about um, well, like certain uh, whiskies, and they're usually just like singly distilled or triple distilled. Five times distilled. It's also created to comply with kosher standards. So this rum is completely kosher. Nice. The, the rums do go up to 25 Shalom. years, but what we're looking here is uh, just the five years. So this is the, the kind of first tier in the premium rums. So they have five premium rums, two super premium rums, and three ultra Premium rums. Ultra, ultra. Although, no, is this? I, think, I can't remember. This is either the super or the normal premium. But to fine. be honest, if it was only like 15, 16 quid, yeah, it's not going to be a lot. Normal, normal premium. Where was it actually from then? Nicaragua. It's from Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Uh-huh. Um, so there was a war there, wasn't it, in the 80s? I'm going to link to that. So it's actually at the base of the Cristobal volcano. So the volcanic soil feeds into the sugarcane reserve, um, and supposedly this this brings certain qualities right. to the taste. But you're absolutely right. During the 1980s, um, it was stored in large quantities, and by 1990, they had the largest reserve of aged rum in the world. Fucking hell! So they kept making it. Kept, there was a war going on, but fuck, we've got we've got sugar cane to cut down. Fucking keep fucking... making this. Don't stop making this because fucking George Bush is fucking landing the troops here. So, yeah, they had it all stored up, and by 1990, once the the revolution happened or whatever, um, mm. they had the largest collection of aged <laughs> rum, which is amazing. Fucking awesome. So I, I mentioned it was the most celebrated. It actually has over 150 international awards since the 2000s. Fucking hell. Um, and it's actually been the most award-winning rum brand during this period. Now, I'm not saying that this is the particular rum yeah, that won all these awards. One, this was but, just a nice but, cheap one. But the actual uh It's said producer. that, because um, it's got this distinct squarish bottle, it looks more yeah. like kind of Johnny Walker. It, it, exactly what it looks like. But they say the long squarish ones, like the kind of longer profile is for their rums that are for mixing. And ah, the slightly dumpier bottles are for, like for, for sipping. Yeah. Aye, I like that. It works really well. Um, now, I did say that we bought this because it was nice and cheap, and that's true. And we want to try and have different rums all the time. But this is going to link into my first artist. First artist, Craig, so Craig Templeton. It links the to translation rum. to this is um, flower of sugarcane, or something like that. Flower sugarcane, blah 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 blah. But it links into my first artist, who. Probably is one of the most consistent artists that I have in my collection. 
as soon as they release an album, I'll buy it because I know it's going to be good. Just buy it without you yeah, thinking about really it. Yeah, and I really like... Without you blinking. Yeah, probably because I started listening to them on album three. So I liked them at album three, so I'll probably ah, carry on liking them. Right, okay. Um, That's interesting. Very interesting. So was album three on Bivalence Avenue then? Yes. And if you haven't guessed from the title of that album, we're going to talk about Bibio. So Bibio is the pseudonym of Stephen Wilkinson. But before we go into Stephen Wilkinson, do you mm. know what a Bibio is? Do you know where the name comes from? I I don't. If I was guessing, it sounds like kind of bibliography, or you would think that it's a it's not. It actually comes from a a fishing fly. So oh, you know, really? like fly fishing, they yeah. tie their own yeah. stuff. A wee bibio, something attracts you. A wee bibio, is it? Well, bibio is just the name of a certain fly. Oh, a certain. A certain fly. Um, and because he used to go fishing with his dad quite a lot, and the fact that he's obsessed with the countryside, which we'll talk about later, he um, he decided to to name himself Bibio. One of his albums is called Silver Wilkinson. And he's Wilkinson. His surname is Wilkinson. And Silver Wilkinson is actually the name of a certain type of fishing fly. No, and I think I, I think if if I'm right or not, his um, his girlfriend was in a charity shop, and there must have been like. A framed, a photo frame of fishing flies. You ever oh, seen that? I saw that. Aye. You go into somebody's house when you were younger. And Aye. Dad's the dad's into like. Dad's into fucking fishing flies and they've got them framed. I have seen that. Well, there was one that said Silver Wilkinson. So she took a picture. And actually, the front cover of that album is um, I've noticed the pattern is different fishing flies. Oh. So yeah, we're going to talk about um, Bibio, Stephen Wilkinson, born in the. The UK's black country. He was. He's a Midlands boy. He is he? a Midlands boy. Um, ho- the home, the birthplace of metal. That's where all the metal bands are from. Like, like Black Sabbath. And black Sabbath. Judas Priest. Deep Purple. Um, are Deep Purple from? I know uh, Napalm Death are from Napalm around Death. there. The black Pretty country sure, as well. Uh, Deep Purple are from that area as well. Yeah. So yeah, the home of metal. Um, in fact, he did grow up as a metal fan. He said. Um, what you look at him, he's got. He's got his big long hair. Big he's got a bit, hair, a bit of beard. Um, he talks. I, I was reading quite a lot of interviews, and he was definitely an outsider. He mm. he loved kind of metal music, and the only time that he really felt part of a community was at Donington. You oh, know where they used aye. to do like the monsters of rock and all that sort of stuff. So the, he was like a huge Sepultura, Pantera. Oh God! Aye. He talks about uh, going through a phase of being in that limp biscuit phase, which <laughs> I have to hold my hand up. I went through that phase as well. I think um, we all did. Whole fucking backwards cap and I all didn't that pish. Go, I didn't go whole hog because I was a bit older. You're a bit older than me. So I, I couldn't get away Although with it. I think he's around about your age. So maybe... Um, uh, maybe he just was a bit more influenced because he was so, so fucking metal that he wanted to... Uh, all that new metal kind of shit. The thing I love about Bibio, I, I got into him around about 2009, maybe the Christmas of 2008. And again, it was my flatmate, Dan. He was uh, he was listening to him. I think we played it in the car. I fell in love with it. It was a blend of kind of this 70s kind of funk, kind of wah-wah guitar with amazing like sampler-based kind of mm. drums. Yeah. And a really heavy bass. And the fact of the matter is it went through so many different genres in that one album that I just became obsessed. And then Dan kind of gave up on it. It was like, he's just copying Boards of Canada. Um, but it turns out Boards of Canada are his favourite band so he admits Boards of Canada is his favourite band but then Boards of Canada themselves do you know who their favourite band is? 
Well, I can make that viewer. I would speak. Fucking is. Is. <laughs> oh, come on. No, honestly. It was like some fucking circle jerk. What, is giving him a wee reach around? <laughs> it's a totally reach around. <laughs> so basically, his favourite band, like I said, was Boards of Canada. Their favourite band at the time was Bibio. Now, I can't say that that is the case these days. I can't say that's it right now. But, but round about that time, he was obsessed with... Um, Music has the right to children, which is a phenomenal album. Yeah, see that album. He goes in an interview saying that it was the best album he's ever listened to. So yes, yeah, so he he plays a lot of electronic music. He comes from a background of kind of metal music, um, and I truly believe that this man is my spirit animal, and maybe this is why I'm connecting so much with his music. But no, I do. I, I feel like he's my spirit animal, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little quote just about his where his um, background is. Where his influences come from because obviously he does a lot of electronic music a lot of beats a lot of cut up stuff uh-huh. um, and he says funnily enough I, I hardly listen to any hip hop I only like a few artists which again same for me like Keitranara fucking love mm-hmm. Hudson Mohawk love yeah Everyone else? Quite hip-hop influence. Couldn't really give a fuck. You wouldn't call them, you probably wouldn't call them hip-hop. But well, he's got a lot of kind of Jay Dilla sort of stuff going on there. Like, really cut up, really like... I like that kind of stuff. I like like Mad Lib and all that kind Aye. of stuff. Um, as for folk, he likes the incredible string band and Nick Drake. Fuck but that's about it. Again, I'm kind of like that with folk. Um, and he doesn't really listen to much electronica either. You know that? Do you know I wouldn't say electronic. I definitely listen to things that have electronic vibes to it. You're more ambient. You listen to ambient stuff. And I I respect craft work, like we've mentioned many times. Well, of course. Yeah, I think me and Stephen Wilkinson, Bibio, um, we have a lot in common. And I really have to say, yes, Ambivalence Avenue probably still is my favourite record because I've listened to it so much. Yeah. And I paid a lot of money. Well, I was just (laughs) going to segue into that. We're talking about spending a lot of money on records and discogs. So you got... I'm guessing what an original press of that. Yeah, I was desperate to have it. This is before he decided to reissue his back catalogue. So I spent, I don't know, I think it was maybe about 50, 60 Do you know quid. what? It's like, it is the collector's lament in some ways that this happens, but it's inevitable. My issue is, if somebody's going to reissue something... Do something new with it. Do something new with it. Make it a little bit shitter. <laughs> so the person that actually fucking invested the first time. So here's a question for you. And I've had this recently because I've I spent quite a lot of money in some Dubs albums probably three or four years ago. <laughs> and then they reissued them there. They reissued. Do you know what? They reissued every album apart from one, and it's the only album I don't actually fucking have. Oh, I was gonna say you could have sold it. Which was Kingdom of Rust, which I, di- I, I, I didn't really love that album anyway. But it, I think that's kind of beside the point. Now they were all re-released in heavy weight. 180 gram vinyl and coloured coloured as well coloured as well and not just so, the same colour I really like that so what is your thoughts on that so say an album you love is re-released you already have it right you pay a lot of money for it yep it's re-released on 180G's and it's also coloured variant I'm fine with that because but you're fine with it I'm okay. fine with it because there is a distinct difference between the record I bought Yes. Than the other records. Even if it's better, I don't mind because I still just want to be able to say this is clearly this version. This is clearly the first version. Yes, okay. Well, if it came as gatefold and now it's no longer gatefold or the opposite or if it came in different colours, if it had a different insert. So it's, yeah. Something. Okay. I do not want... A, just I don't like to see a clone. No. Because I don't feel in that way that I don't feel special anymore. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I know you like school specials. Anyways, that is by the by. You're eating up into my... Uh, bibio time. My bibio time. And I really just wanted to... Like, we already talked about how his albums are full of all these different influences. And I feel like after Ambivalence Avenue, he wanted to kind of reach out a little bit more and just went a bit too far. So he released a remix album, which was fine. That's I, cool. think I, I think that's got the apple in the tooth. Um, but then he released Mind Boca, which has some good tracks. Yeah. Kiefer Kelson is a really good track. Um, but it also has ones called um, Take Off Your Shirt, which has got like a fucking electric guitar. It goes... It's singing to some person to take off their shirt. Is that that black country coming out of them? So, uh, yeah, kind of been a wee bit of fucking metal going on there. Um, and they released some really cool t-shirts for that. But, to be honest, this song's a bit pish. But after that, it's been nothing but um, solid releases. Yeah. Including, like I said, Silver Wilkinson is a great... Um, mineral, uh, what is it? A mineral, mineral love. A mineral love with town and country. That is one of my favourite songs. I love that song. And that reminds me of the record store day party that we had. Yeah. Remember, we just I just moved in a new flat. It was my brother's birthday, record store day. Everything yeah. happened at the same that time. Crazy, and that tune was pretty much the soundtrack to that mm. entire fucking party. I really like that album. I do really like it. I know you were a wee bit disappointed, didn't it? You felt like the middle section. It's as if he's said, right, I'm gonna go kind of folky, kind of Americana, kind of. Um, Richard Thompson-esque. A wee bit in terms of years, And then he goes, you know what? I fucking love the 80s. Uh, and I really appreciate what Chad Valley's doing. So I'm mm. going to do some of that sort of stuff. So he does fucking um, so serious. You did say that at the time to me. You wish he just stuck solidly to the folk thing and got rid of the electronic stuff on that well, album. Well, I'm glad to say, like, after that, he, um, he came back with, a, with an ambient album mm. that kind of spanned 10 years, which was called for, um, Phantom Brickworks, which was all about forgotten like industry and forgotten buildings within the countryside. A lot of them are in Wales, which he's always said he, he loves the countryside of Wales. And then this year, he's probably released one of the best albums of the year. Oh, And I, I really wanted to pick one of the tracks from this album, but I feel like we're going to talk about it at the end of the year. Yeah, it's such a good album, actually. And I think he's went arguably fuller on on the folk side on this album. He definitely has. There's a lot of folk stuff. There is ambient stuff and there's some electronic stuff in there as well. But I think he's, he's hit the nail on the head with the balance. There's a couple of tracks on the latest one that sounds a lot like Mike Oldfield. Again, an, an amazing multi-instrumental. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah, feels yeah. like Omidon era uh, Mike Oldfield. I want to I wanna play something that encapsulates even more that kind of countryside vibe, that yeah. folk vibe with the electronic vibe, with the kind of fun vibe. Mm-hmm. Everything is in, was within this track. And the track is um, a, a Tout La Hure. That sounds like me saying Hure. Um, but it's from Silver Wilkinson um, so we're going to listen to that now and then we will go on to our second choice Has got all the elements of Bibio, really, yeah, in yeah. one song, really. Aye, maybe not the whole choppy, like choppiness, chopping up things, um, mm. 
the kind of darkness, but it's definitely got that country vibe, mm-hmm. folk vibe with the acoustic guitars. Yeah. Um, with the beats, with the kind of um, synthesizer. And the bass as well. Yeah, the bass. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Right, Craig. Your turn. Moving on. You're finally getting to pick a song. Oh, fuck, I know. It's after like... eight songs of me picking them. Well, I thought I would start with something fucking really good. Something really good. Something really good. An artist you, I know, love. So the artist I'm going to talk about is a Brighton-based DJ, producer, multi-instrumentalist, Simon Green, otherwise known as... Uh, Bonobo. Uh, so Bonobo is an artist that I've been into for, for quite a long time. And I think his music kind of ranges from what I would call the kind of tranquil, chill-out type vibe to the more kind of clubby, danceable type music. Uh, and, it, and it's very much evolved over time, I would say. If you, if you listen to some of his earlier stuff compared to, say, his last full-length LP quite different um what was his last full length ep uh i think it's got migra- migration isn't it oh i sold it i bought it i bought the limited edition like you know the big yeah part, i sold it yeah i did as well yeah, i st- sold that around about the time that i sold father john Mr. i've still got it comedy. i've still got it um and it's actually a theme probably for all my three artists i've chosen don't let's put you off but the later stuff i've kind of either checked out a wee bit or I've just not really bothered with it but Bonobo is a for me is a fantastic solo pseudonym artist uh, I think the fact he often incorporates sort of like world music afro beats and sort of middle eastern type instruments yeah, there's something about Brighton that um, uh, that just is so open to influences from around the world. Maybe it's because it's a, a real melting pot I'm and there's quite sure a liberal kind of place. Very liberal. Um, I'm pretty sure Mr. Bongo comes from Brighton, which is a record label that kind of outputs all these amazing world music artists mm. from the decades. When we do these pods, I often like to think back, how did I get in this artist? Where did I discover them? Where did I first hear them? Uh, and I was kind of racking my brains quite often. It was actually f- through a former work colleague, and we used to make each other mixtapes. Or they were actually CDs, weren't tapes. Weren't not not that fucking old, but and uh, his taste in music was quite different from mine. He was into a lot of electronic and hip hop, and I was into more guitar based stuff. So we we kind of like had introduced each other to educate each other. Yeah, I like and, that. And that was great. He yeah, liked yeah. like. I liked a lot of reggae stuff. He liked a lot of, um, say, hip hop, but also electronic stuff. Liked a lot of grass. I liked a lot of grass. <laughs> and he put a Bonobo song on a mixtape. The so- I think the song was uh, Keto or Keto, and it was from the album Days to Come. Oh, yeah. That's the way the, way the white circle made looks, out of all these different fucking things. It looks basically like a polo mint. Aye. Made out of white stuff. Uh, and I, I actually ended up checking out the album on the back of it. Um, That's cool. And that, that that was kind of like my gateway into Bonobo, I suppose. I'm not saying, like, I went in at fucking hard and this is amazing, that's me into Bonobo now. Um, but I think really the album that got me properly in was, was the fourth album, which was uh, Black Sands. Oh, 
What a fucking outstanding oh my piece of music. Good God, it's such a beautiful that album. Remi- that, I've got so many memories attached to that album. Same, actually. I remember walking through Glasgow Green with my rain jacket on and the rain pitter-pattering upon it, and I was listening to the last track. Um, it's called Black Sands, actually. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just such a great album, and it's... I think he got much more adventurous on this album. The image on the album, I was surprised to, to find out, it was actually taken in the north of England. Well, I was going to say, that always reminds me of some sort of fucking Korean area. Yes. And then since moving to the south of London, I was like, wait a minute, there's a big fucking one of those towers on the way to Croydon. Maybe he took it in fucking Croydon. But it's not. It's no, in the north of England. It's taken in the north of England. Wow, I didn't know that. If you look at it, these kind of like valleys, and this kind of big sort of like tower. Aye. Like, I suppose it's probably the name Black Sands makes you think, oh, it, it must does. be as near the fucking coast. Yeah, it does kind of make you think. Um, but fantastic, fantastic album. Um, when we're talking about Bonobo before going to the next album, we, before we do that, I think we really have to talk about Late Night Tales. Yes, again, Chris Hamley invited me to that sort of stuff. Um, so Late Night Tales is a, it's a it's a record label which it is now yeah yeah, yeah which yeah, released yeah. Crangbin stuff in, in the UK, um but it kind of started like a bit of a kind of compilation type. It still is. It still goes. So basically, they invite artists to create a, a mixtape of what they would like to listen to late at night and what inspires them. Yes. And I would say that there's two that stand out a lot. There's Cinematic Orchestras, which I uh-huh. think was the first one I got into, yeah. and then Bonobo released one. And that is the very first time that I heard Krangbin because yeah. they were on it. They're, they're on not it. in the vinyl version. They're not in the vinyl version, which is annoying. Um, but yeah, I we I met l- the guys that are in charge of Late Night Tales. We did uh, a record fair. They offer to buy three records for like for 30 quid or something. And we, we went, I was like, we want three copies of the Bonobo. And he's like, hold on a minute. Well, can, why do you want three of the same? Well, I was like, well, well there's three, three of us. They were not up for that one. They're like, do you work in a shop? Are you trying to sell this cheaper? Like, like, no. no, we just want the fucking we want album. one each. And that's at the time that I bought the signed copy of A Cap in Winter and um, the you, signed copy for the infamous bill. You did really well that day. That was those two are fucking worth a lot and I'm never giving those up. In fact, that was the weekend we went to see That was the weekend that we saw Bonobo at Alexandra Palace. We had VIP tickets. Probably, again, one of the... Maybe not the best gig, but one of the best gig experiences I've ever had. Just being... Having such a good time with two of my best friends. No, and it's the reason... Backstage, in the fucking... Your own bar. Oh, it was phenomenal. It was so good. For me, that... I would say... I would actually go as far as to say it is one of the best gigs that... Well, do you have the poster framed and on your wall? I do. I so does Chris. In fact, I'm the only one that doesn't have that. And it was, it was down to you, but you did go for the VIP tickets. Fucking right. We got the... It was Chris's 30th. Oh, it was, not it? Had to be special. And we kind of stayed out in North London. We did. It was in a, a three-story townhouse. Yeah. We started... And that's actually the first time that we ever started to make something as if we were going to publish it. Remember, we made that amazing ragu. Oh, we did. Made our own pasta. Made our own pasta. And we Chris started videoing it, and we were like, we're going to fucking make something out of this. Yeah. And we never did. No, we didn't. And it took a good fucking five years until we fucking... Finally made a podcast. But the, a podcast. We, that was such a fun night. The second night we didn't go to the gig, we, we were making playlists. Oh, and we were, we were doing... Themed, we were like decades, cover versions. There was that, but we also did one called The Chain. 
the chain and we had to link a song to the other song to the next song and it got so fucking tedious links like this is a cover of a mid 70s classic and this also came out in this fucking year he says this word in this song so this song (laughs) is called shut up (laughs) and Uh, then we went to the shops and Hamley fell asleep by the time we got back and then you had to sleep in the attic I, and that shower was excruciatingly hot. So as well. hot. I got, I got quite a raw deal on the sleeping arrangement in that. You did. It but was I his mean, birthday. You usually get good you, deals on most things. No, I do. I, I, I can you're, I, you're small, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I put a big boy like me up in the fucking attic. I sucked it up, to be fair. I was like. Nobody puts fatty in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bonobo is amazing. Uh, this album really is the standout album for me. It is, yeah. Are you going to play a track from it? No, I'm actually not. <laughs> I've chosen uh, The North Borders because... That was the album that followed, yeah? Yeah, it was. The next album. And that was because the, this gig was the tour for that album, essentially. So what's the track? The track is uh, Cyrus or Cyrus or Sirius. That's the one with the thumb piano. Yeah. Oh, I love this track. Oh. This track is really good. I love that track it's probably a track that most of the listeners have heard I would say Black Sands is better um, this, is a, oh, this is also a solid album it's, it's just got, album. I think it's got less strings in it yes it's a more complete album uh, Black Sands for me so let's go on we're only on our third artist we're not even halfway we have talked a lot yet. about the first two but they are particular favourites I think of ours but no um, I'm going to talk about the next band which is slightly it's not a band remember well, it's not a band. I keep saying it's a band because they're because called... think it's a band. Well, they're, they're called The Microphones. Um, but really, it's just one guy. Um, and it's by Phil Elverham, who is... I would still say, in my mind, is still best known for recording under the guise of Mount Erie. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned at the intro, um, some of these artists have went under other pseudonyms and... I would say for anybody that is only recently getting into Phil's music, you probably know him more from Mount Erie. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, even when he became Mount Erie, a lot of the f- previous fans still consider him as the microphones. And that was probably up until um, his second last album, which was A Crow Looked at Me. Yeah. Which is uh, the album he released. Uh, I checked that album out. After his, his wife, wife died. died. Yeah, and fact. which is... It's grim, it's deep. it's it's really deep, it's cathartic, it's a stunningly beautiful album about death. Mm. Pulls no punches. And it really was um, recorded in the room that she died with an acoustic guitar and a laptop. But we're not going to dwell on that. Um, not, not to shoot it down in any way, but this is not the artist I want to talk about. I want no. to talk about The Microphones, which was um, Elbram's first project. So he comes from the northwest, um, northwest of England. From sorry, not from Carlisle or anywhere like that. He's from the northwest of the United States. He's in the Washington state, 
And he's originally from Anacortes, but uh, moved to Olympia, which is one of the biggest kind of music scenes around. And the home of someone that we mentioned before, K Records. Oh, fucking K Records. So um, K Records are from um, there. And most of his one output of, One as, of Kurt Cobain's faves. Yeah, most of his outputs as the microphones came from K Records, including this album. I don't know. I don't know they were on K Records. They are. So between 1996 and 2003, Phil Elvrum went under the microphones. He then released his final microphones album, which was called Mount Erie, and then decided to play ah. as Mount Erie. So this signified a kind of change in the music. And ah. then, So for, for his first few albums, he delved into kind of introspective, quiet, folky parts that embraced the rawness of nature, but also the wildness of the weather. And then had a lot of kind of fuzz and a lot of kind of tape recordings. Mm-hmm. Mount Erie, different from the last album that had, I don't know, close to 20 tracks, had five tracks, including the first track, which was 17 minutes long. I was going to say we were long. And it was all about him dying, his body getting picked apart by vultures, him then Cheery. having an outer body experience where he could view the whole universe including Mount Erie, mm-hmm. which has one less E than the actual title, and that is based in, you guessed it, Anacortes, um, Washington State. Ooh. So after that album, he then decided to to move on and start recording as Mount Erie. And this is re- this is around about the time he started recording on his own record label, right. and was very prolific. Released a lot of music. What I really love about some of the things he released was his albums were just parts of songs that he's released before. So the track I'm going to play is called The Moon, which is one of my favourite tracks. It stands out because it's it's very drony, kind of shoegazy compared to a lot of the kind of folky stuff he does. Yeah. But on an album that he released later, he I think one of the single tracks is just called Horns from the Moon. And it's just the saxophone <laughs> and the horns from the moon. So it's silent and then it just goes... just fades away just fades away and then on that same album he's got one called Organ and Piano from the Moon and it's the same <laughs> it's just the same cut. it's just taking the multi-track and <laughs> says, and I ha- like I don't want to sound pretentious but they're still fucking great tracks <laughs> just listening to them parts on their own are amazing so the album that I really really want to focus on is The Glow Part 2 which is the famous one with the elephant in the evergreen forest blowing into the campfire. Which is what you've got tattooed proudly in your chest. I do have a tattoo proudly it's on my chest. It's a fucking mass of tattoos. Well. I didn't realise it was going to be that big. And I think, I mean, I've obviously became bigger as a person because I like to eat food <laughs> <laughs> and drink a lot of alcohol. So I've definitely increased in mass. But it's a big Cultivating tattoo. Cultivating mass, just like in uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm cultivating mass. <laughs> The album itself is a kind of sprawling album that covers so many genres. It starts with this really kind of beautiful dual-tracked um, acoustic guitar that's slightly out of tune that builds up. It's, it's called I Want Wind to Blow, and it's really just his desperateness to be outside and feel nature and get away from normal life. And there's a lot of tracks like that um, that are really, really simple. It's just an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. There's also tracks that um, are more ambient, 
mm-hmm. and more kind of sound sonic experiments. And then there's some really distorted tracks as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a track. It's just an album that that encompasses so many different musical styles. It is to to quote a kind of um, a cliche. It's a journey. It's a musical journey. It's a journey. And it's really been hard to pick a track that really kind of covers the whole thing. But as mm. I said, we're going to cover this with the track called The Moon. I love the fucking like little uh, fucking like. Uh, I think it's a saxophone. Saxophone. Yeah, it just it just cuts really through. cool. So yes, um, microphones amazing. Won't talk about them anymore because I could talk all night. Because we're going to move on to our next artist. Yeah, an artist that goes under like many names. Has been involved in a lot of different musical projects. A bit like Phil. Not like Phil. Phil, little Phil. Uh, I knew I really wanted to include this artist, but I wasn't hundred percent sure which moniker to choose. Uh, the artist is called uh, Dev Haynes or Devon Haynes or David. Haynes. David. His actual name is fucking David. To be fair, he's tried to be fancy and call himself Devon and Devont, but he's he's basically Dave. He's really Dave Haynes. Dave. <laughs> um. Originally, he was in the, and I don't, I wasn't really in this band, but they were, I've heard them like referred to as like punk, new rave. They were god awful. But I do have a seven inch of this. Test icicles. But he basically left that band. He relocated to New York, uh, where he recorded uh, two, what I've heard described as orchestral folk or acoustic albums under the moniker of Lightspeed Champion. He may have moved to New York, but the first album was recorded in Nebraska. It was actually, which is bizarre. Oh, right. I, I did, I did, I did pick that up. I have only ever listened to that first album. I've never listened to the second one. I'm the same. Do you know what? I'm the same. Aye. I feel a bit fraudulent, but. But yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't pick. Lightspeed Champion. I was going to. I was going to. Then you wanted to be too cool. I tried to be cool. Which is often my undoing. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a great album, Lightspeed Champion. So Blood Orange was his new project. And it was very much more kind of like R&B, soul, a little bit hip-hop focused. Got elements of new wave in there as well. Um, he's, he's quite a cool character, actually. He, drew, he grew up in East London. Um you know, he was actually a, he was a semi-professional footballer up until he was about 17. He played for uh, Dagenham and Redbridge. For me, like, if you listen to, like, kind of, like, early-ish Prince, mm. this is this album. And this is why I love it. Of course. It's very kind of new wave. It's got that R&B influences. It's got soul influences. It's such a great album. I mean, you've got these intentions to get a Prince tattoo, so of course you're going to be into Absolutely. this. Absolutely. For me, it's his best album to date. 
Essentially, best as Blood Orange or best in uh, all. Best as Blood Orange, because like I almost like because you I, fucking love Indie Hines. I do love Indie Hines, and I almost don't treat them as separate artists. And I love the fact he's compart compartmentalized it like that. Yeah, um, but I really like this album. We talked at the start of the show about how these like kind of maverick soul artists quite often do collaborate. I think this album is a great example of that. There's like tons and tons of uh, vocal collaborations on this album. I'm gonna do a cover. Or it's kind of like a reworking of a Manson. Remember the man Manson? Oh yeah, I'm a wide open space. I'm in a wide open space. But uh, th there's a Manson song called off that same album called "I Can Only Disappoint You." Okay, he did a cover of that. He covers this on this album. That shows some serious indie integrity. It really does. It's a and it's. He actually changes the name of the song. I can't remember what it's called in this album, but he changes the name. It's slightly different. But, um, interestingly, I was reading this something about him in an interview, and he said he doesn't read any reviews of his own shit. He, he said he stopped after that fir first Blood Orange album because he's like, it really does influence you quite a lot. He's like, if someone comes to you in the street and says, oh, I really like that shirt, it's a really nice shirt, he's like, you'd wear more of those shirts. Aye. Or someone says, what the fuck's all those shoes? What's those trainers all about? They're a fucking disgrace. You'd be like... But they're like, comfy. It would play in your mind. You maybe like, wouldn't wear them again. He's like, oh... So he's like, I try not to. So I've like this made the decision like a part all reviews. Which is interesting because this, this review on uh, Pitchfork, this got like an 8.6 or something like that. Ridiculous fucking review. Um, which doesn't influence me to, to get into this, but... This is a really great album. Uh, I've chosen the song. Uh, the second track on this, the album is called You're Not Good Enough. And the reason I've chosen this is because it kind of reminds me of like that early Prince vibe, that kind of new wave, amazing bass. You've got the female vocalist in the background. Really great tune. I'm going to play it for you now. Get Enjoy. it on! and I didn't think I would because I thought I only knew one Blood Orange track but I know this one as well and it's it's very very reminiscent of Early Prince it's got that kind of Prince and the Revolution vibe with the it does. the female backup band um, yeah, it's great I love it and, I, and to be honest I really want to get into this album you need to listen to this album the last track that I'm going to choose um, and you're going to you're going to get on at me is not available on vinyl. She's never released any vinyl records. In fact, so, she's only released what? cassettes. Oh, cassettes. Uh, it's back to cassette. So this, technically, this was a contender I know for Unknown Pleasures. It was. It's also something I was wanting to go into Templeton's Travels for Austin. Um, I discovered this artist through a playlist that I follow on Spotify by an amazing record store in Austin, which is End of an Ear. And they put up this track by an artist called Moonracer. And it's such a delicate, 
intimate recording of just a girl in her bedroom. It literally is bedroom pop. It's just her, a Casio keyboard, an old fucking drum machine, and a I think it I think it's just a four track. Um, yeah, it's very mixer. low price, brilliant. You put this on our playlist, and I fucking love this track. I lo- I actually went out and seeked out the the rest of the the recordings because it was so. It was so good, it really spoke to me. This was definitely my album of the year last year, which upsets me because it didn't come out on record. And hopefully one day it may come out on a coloured vinyl, the same kind of pink that's on the front cover. But the solo pseudonym, the the name is Moonracer, which comes from the winged lion who rules over an island haven for misfit toys in the 1964 stop animation film Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, really? So what is the actual, uh, what's the artist's uh, real name? Her name is Autumn. And she's from... Right, this is the thing that really confused me, okay? So, you do you have the app Bands in Town? Yes. So it it's looks at like your play... It's got a little thing like aye, that. Aye, aye, it looks at your play in history, it sees what artist you've been listening to, and it says, oh, this artist is playing a show locally. Mm-hmm. Should buy tickets. And that used to cost me so much money because I'd always buy tickets I got an update saying Moonracer is playing in Durham and I was like fucking Durham like the northeast of England the northeast of England fucking university town she's playing in Durham turns out the app got a bit confused she plays she was playing in Durham North Carolina ah and she's actually from North Carolina I think from a a certain amount of um, social media snooping she is a primary school teacher. You are a little social media detective, though. I'm fucking hell, I can find any information you want. So it really is just played on a fuzzy old keyboard, like a vintage Casio, and a Tascam four-track cassette recorder. It's fucking great. The album is called Is It Really a Secret? And it's been described as a hazy, lo-fi spell of distorted beats, warm spins, and melodically melancholic vocals. It's a diary written from 1 January to the following October, narrating the frenzy of new love, its confusing dissolution, and finally, tender consignment to the past. So she's went through the whole fucking sphere of falling in love and then putting it away in a box. Um, And while musicians and writers alike have criticised the classification of bedroom pop for being pretty vague, this, as I said at the start of the episode, epitomises bedroom yeah, pop. This is proper bedroom pop. It's literally just her in her fucking bedroom playing these songs. Um, the interesting thing is that she's actually signed to a record label that is owned by another person that goes under a solo pseudonym. Aye. So she's signed to um, Ordinal Records, which is owned by um, Owen Ashworth, who was under the the term, or under the name, Casio Tone for the Painfully Alone. Um, And yeah, I don't really have much to say in this album because there's not a lot written about her. There's a couple of digital only tracks out there, but this cassette, if you can get a hold of it, you really should hold on to it, or you should try and get a copy of it if you don't have it. And it's just, it's really intimate. It's really, it is quite melancholic. There's not a lot of kind of upbeatness to it. She does do a cover on one of the tracks. It's just got that kind of warm feeling. I like it. And hopefully one of these days she will come to the UK. But let's get it on. Until then. Let's get it on. 
Yeah, let's get to on. Moonracer, the hazy Casio um, from Durham, North Carolina. Only available on cassette, so you get that nice hum of the cassette player Such as well. Such a cool vibe. And I fucking love that she mentions a Mogwai. I know she's not talking about the fucking post-rock band for Glasgow. No. But all the same. And it was on our most recent collaboration playlist, I think. I believe you put it on there. I think so. I must have. And I was I, obsessed with this track. I haven't gone and like, listened to the full EP or album, whatever it was. It's funny, when I discover a band like this, sometimes I want to buy two copies just to give to you. Do you know what, actually? That's, I may start doing that. That's such a sweet thing to say. But actually, it's also very like intelligent and very like... I think we should do that. Because I gave you I gave you the Aidan Moffat 7-inch. Um, you, you did. Which is plenty of, it's worth quite a lot of money these days. You also gave me some other Do you want to give it back? <laughs> no. You also gave me some other stuff, but I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> right. Last track. Last track, and once again, it's down to your old fucking die here. So, this is uh, an artist that I have been. Well, actually, f- uh, posted it twice. No, posted it twice. Must have a bit of a heart on this fucking guy. <laughs> 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 uh, he. He, he goes by the moniker of Washed Out. Which I appreciate. It's not... It, it does sound like it could have been a band. Could have been a band. And I, and I think I did think it was a band originally. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Ernest Green, who hails from uh, Georgia. Ernest. 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 Ernest ruins Christmas. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like some sort of like... It's like P.B. Herman or some sort yeah, of guy. Yeah, I there? know Ernest. He wears a fucking baseball cap. Fanny. Basically, but this is not him, thankfully. Um, <laughs> interestingly, he studied to be a librarian as well. How the fuck do you study to be a librarian? Uh, this is how you properly no, alphabetize no, 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 no. a fucking was book. Called, what was it called again? It was librarian like, studies, information science. They call it. Um, he first recorded under a different moniker. I didn't realize this. Did you know that? No, not at all. Because I've never taken any notice of the cunt. Jokes, 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 jokes. Okay. I bought his record for five pounds a couple of I weeks ago. I fucking hate you. But <laughs> it didn't make any impact. And then he changed kind of direction a little bit. And he, he came under the, the, the moniker washed out. And it was due to MySpace where he got a lot of acclaim. Uh, he released a couple of VPs, including uh, Life of Leisure, which you've the spot you said for five quid. I did. I was at the Mexican summer um, stand at one of the independent record fairs that they commonly host in London. This one was at King's Cross. That EP featured the song Feel All Around. Tune. Which is an absolute banger. And I think uh, there's the first one I heard of Washed Out. And it features on the show Portlandia. Portlandia. Absolutely. Put a board on it. Which 
I think really propelled him as an artist. De- I definitely heard this song as the intro music to Portland before I heard of him. Yeah, exactly. Which is a great fucking gig to get. No, totally. It totally is. And I think that was the reason why his first LP actually coming out on uh, Sub Pop. However, I do prefer the follow-up album much more. Do you? Yeah. Pa- uh, um, paro- parochism? Parochism? I know, the one with the floggers on it. Yes. Which apparently means it's like a, an imaginary, a detailed imaginary world. Cool. Is this and the album we're going to listen to a track from? Yes, we are. Oh. Inter- interestingly, he went back to, he used a lot of like vintage synths in this album. He went back to that. This boy obviously comes from money. No, he definitely does. Like, if he's buying all the best stuff to make a fucking debut album, then he's like, actually, no, I want it to be a bit more fucking real. I'm going to use vintage analog synths. No, he does. He goes back and goes a lot of analog synths on this. And I think this is what, this is the album I really got into. Uh, I remember listening to it on holiday in Mexico, which is interesting because you talked about Mexican summer. I did talk about Mexican summer. What a great, tedious link that you just made there. I know. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, Mexican summer, that was good. Was it the summer months that you went? Actually, wasn't it? <laughs> it was like February. You uh, escaped to Mexico in the fucking The Mexican winter. fucking winter. Well, it's winter for us. No, for me. Um, it's never winter for Mexico. But it was a perfect soundtrack to those kind of long, lazy summer days. His style of music is like often lumped into that kind of chill wave style. Ah, yeah. I, I, I totally get that. Absolutely. And, and it that. definitely is. But for me, it tends to straddle two different vibes. One, I would... It's not a not a genre, not, and I'm I'm not about to make up genres like those cunts on fucking yacht rock. Yeah, I make up genres all the time. Make one up. It's like drowse synth. <laughs> drowse synth. It's so it's almost like drowse synth. Yeah, it's almost like you've you, you've taken some like fucking cough syrup and, and you're trying to make music and fighting that drowsiness. I think they call that slow loss. Yeah, maybe. And then there's the, at the other end of the spectrum. There's this kind of really euphoric uplifting kind of like uh, electronic kind of take you to this kind of like pinnacle I I, I really enjoy like kind of both ends of the spectrum that's what I would say but particularly I'm probably more at the kind of drowsy more synthy probably because I'm I'm lying on a beach in Mexico four cocktails deep like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it kind of suits my mood a bit better. Aye. So what is the track we're going to listen to? The track I've chose is, uh, it's called It All Feels Right. It all feels right. Is it that one? Yeah. Oh, I do like, I know this track. Which is from... I uh, think you put it on a playlist. <laughs>
that concludes episode 8 of Drum and Records, solo pseudonyms. We really hope you enjoyed this particular episode. And please remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you happen to get your podcasts. And where we are, feel free to drop us a review. We really, really appreciate that. Thanks so much again for listening and all your support. And until next time, we're coming records. Thank you.